0: I think there's only about a half a dozen churches that are even open this morning. I sure am glad we're one of them. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. That's such a tough decision about weighing the line between getting here safely and getting home. safe. I think from now on we're just going to have church at least ten thirty. I think we'll just make the. Should we just do that? Make the call that we're just going to be here. Oof. Yeah. So a few years ago, we're going to be in John chapter 7, by the way, verse 37, 38, and 39, three verses, but a whole lot in them. John chapter 7, if you've got your Bibles. A few years ago, there was a song that came out, and, and uh, you're going to have to do your very best not to start singing this one. Okay? And some of you are going to go, I have no idea what he's talking about. I had to look this up. I didn't actually know it personally. I'm kidding. There was a song that came out, and one of the lines is, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Don't sing it. Just, it's there. It was tempting to ask the worship team, but no, it wasn't. It raises a good question. What do you want? What do you really, really want? This morning, you had to make that decision. Did you want to stay home and stay warm and and make another pot of coffee and maybe do breakfast at home like you don't usually have time for? Did you want to go shovel and actually have to clear out to get to the garage to get your car out if you're so fortunate as to have a garage? You had to get your driveway cleared or wait for someone else to do it. You had to make the decision. One of the things you really wanted was to be here. Thank you. Me too. Yeah, you can give yourself a round of applause for that. But you had to decide if you really wanted to. Was it important or was it really important? Was it really, really important? So what do you really, really want? Since we're sitting in church, I, I think that we'd all make the statement that in somehow or another, because we're about to hear a, a message from the Bible, that we would say something similar at least to, well, I want more Jesus. I want to be a better Christian. I, I, want, to, I want to live according to what I say I believe more. And that would be the right answer. But is it what you really, really want? What is it? And I'm going to leave you with that question as we get through this today, and then we're going to keep coming back to it. What is it that you really, really want? Would it be true to say, well, I really want to be more like Jesus? Maybe that is true, and that's awesome. Maybe that's just the right answer when you are in church. So the question is an important one because what we want, what we really, really want we have to figure out because it's what we're going to really, really work for. What we want is what we'll figure out how to get. What we want is what we'll put our time and our brain power and our money behind acquiring. What we want matters because it shapes our lives. It shapes what people know about us. What we want is what we will work for. Now, that might not always work with a relationship. It it might not work for some things because you just don't have adequate finances to have what you really wish you could have. But somehow, with most things, we're going to find a way to acquire those things that are important to us. You found a way to get here this morning. It wasn't easy for any of us, if nothing else. You probably had to drive a lot slower than you do most Sundays. But you wanted to be here. So what is it that's important? What do you want? Maybe it's more money. Maybe it's a job title. Maybe it's a, a car or a vacation or a stuff. Whatever it is, you know as well as I do, you're working on finding out a way to get it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew that was true of the people in His day. And it's every bit as true about you and I today, and He knows it. He knows who we are, whether you are in a personal relationship with with Him or not. He knows your heart. He knows what you really, really want. question is, do you know yourself as well as Jesus does, and are you willing to be honest about what you really, really want the way He knows what you really, really want? John 7, starting in the 37th verse. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Jesus stood. He didn't didn't sit as a teacher would, because we've talked about that. Uh, The teachers would sit down and the people would surround Him. Jesus stood up, and it's important that the Bible tells us that, because He had something to proclaim. He had something to say. He stood up so people could hear Him. He took that posture that says, I want to make sure you know I've got something that you need to hear. I heard a sermon last Sunday, and the lady started out with the phrase, this is an important sermon. This is the one sermon you need to hear. This is one thing you'll never forget and you'll take with you the rest of your life. I never got to that part. There was nothing there that I need to take with me for the rest of my life. Jesus stood because He had something to say that we needed to hear. What's the feast? Great question. Feast of Tabernacles dates all the way back to the Old Testament. What's the great day? Well, it's the largest day of the celebration of the three feasts. And every native-born male in Israel was required to attend this feast. This wasn't optional. This is one you had to attend. It happened right after harvest was over. And what would happen is you would bring your tithes. You'd bring the, the 10% of your first fruits of your income for the year because as an as a, a agricultural group of folks, they had the majority of their money all at once. And so when they got paid, they would bring their tithe to the festival. Why was it so important? This was probably the last time that Jesus was going to have this big audience of these particular people together in Jerusalem so that He could teach them God's way to Him through the Holy Spirit. See, we can look back on it. We can say we understand why it was so important that He stood. See, these people were going to leave this day, this festival, and they're going to go back to their homes and they're going back to their lives and the friends and the the folks that, that weren't there and they're going to say, so tell me what happened. Well, Jesus was there. He stood up and started talking. Really? Jesus did? What did Jesus have to say? Because He was a big deal. People were listening to Him. They were seeing and hearing Jesus teach and He was, he was all the rage for some folks. Everybody was talking about Him. Some of the talk we know is negative and derogatory. And some of it was flat out lies, but they were talking. And when these folks went back and they said Jesus stood up, Jesus wanted to make sure that in the midst of all the noise that they heard the truth that they heard God's truth. That's why we never stray from the Bible here. The only truth you're ever going to be able to count on in your whole life is in that book. That's why we teach from the Bible. My opinion about it doesn't matter. What God says matters. Jesus wanted them to hear God's truth. The Bible even tells us how it is that Jesus delivered the message. The word that our Bible translation used is Jesus cried out. I can probably be understood a lot of different ways. So I went and I took a look at uh, what's the Greek word? The Greek word is kratso, crazy. It means to scream, to yell, to cry out. It means that Jesus had emphasis and energy and passion. Jesus just didn't stand to see who would listen. Jesus used this voice and proclaimed, exclaimed what He had to say. So I'm thinking, uh, how does this work in our world? Y'all got smartphones, right? Really? Suddenly nobody has a smartphone? One person says, I do. I'll admit it. You don't have to do anything with it. We've only, that's what we call them. We call them smartphones. Why? Because they're smarter than us and they make us look dumb. We all got smartphones, but there's a problem because if you got a phone, even if you got the old flip phone, and you're the smart one among us, if you got the old flip phone, there's still something you can do with that phone, isn't it? It's called texting. Am I right? Some of you, you, you send out three, five, five, 10,000 text messages a month. I'm sorry, you're missing a great world. We love texting. But I don't know why because it takes more time and it's more work than actually picking up the phone and making a thing called a personal phone call. But we love to text. It's easier. We can do it when we should be doing other things. We can talk to one person, well yeah, do you, yeah, yep, yeah, mm, yep, and we just keep on guilty of it at our house. I know how that works. Texting is impersonal and it leaves a lot to be desired, but we all do it. Most of us are texters, and you don't have to do it for very long before you realize it can get you in a world of misunderstanding and trouble because we've got words, oftentimes in poor grammar and in shorthand, and we don't really know the way those words are being intended. We don't know the voice that the person who's texting would be using. We can't convey emphasis or inflection. All we get is these words. words. Ever gotten in trouble because somebody misunderstood a text? Now you can raise your hand. Chickens. I know I have. I I spend an awful lot of my time being careful with my words, and texting has gotten me in trouble. I've got to go back and explain. That's not what I meant at all. Well, the same thing can happen when we read the Bible if we're not careful. So we've got the words of Jesus, but we don't always have the voice of Jesus. We know what He said, but we don't always know how He said it. We don't know how He meant it or what He sounded like. When John uses the word kratso here, we've got a very good understanding that Jesus had passion in His voice. This isn't just a text. This is helping us understand. Jesus was passionate because He knew His time was short. Jesus knew He had three years of ministry and that was it. These people in front of Him right now might never get the chance to hear His message again we're also able to get an understanding of the volume that Jesus would have been used. And it was loud. Because what He had to say was important. So what's this message to this very religiously faithful group of people? message is very simple. If anyone thirsts, let them come to Me and drink. See, here's the thing. Jesus today is still passionate for you. And what I don't want you to ever believe anything other than is He still cries out through the words of the Bible for you to hear Him. These aren't empty words meant for other people. This thing is full, this book, the Bible is full of what God wants you to hear about Him and about you. And today Jesus still cries out in the words of the Bible. does he want us to do? He wants us to look to him for help. Just like that crowd that day, he wanted them to listen. He wanted them to hear what he said because he understood how important it was. might seem like an odd statement about coming to me and drink because everybody gets thirsty. We've got physical thirst. These folks living in the desert were listening to Jesus. They really understood what it was to be thirsty. Rain over there is, is not a very common thing. The idea of of a drink of fresh water is an awfully nice idea. But we translate it to our world, and and how do we understand it? Well, we've got wants and needs and disappointments and desires. We find ourselves being thirsty in a lot of different ways that maybe has nothing to do with water. But the thing is, there's only one of those thirsts that you can possibly come up with that's ever going to be truly satisfied. With things and money and stuff and relationships and people and whatever else we try to go after and we try to fill our lives with, more will never be enough. If you've gone down that road, you know exactly what I'm talking about. More isn't going to cut it. And and even the very best of human relationships is never going to completely quench our deepest thirst. See, there's going to be a day when that relationship ends. That that person's not going to be there anymore. And then what do you have? You're back to being really thirsty again. It might end because one of you leaves. It might end because one of you dies. But it's going to end. And so we do things to try to fill these needs, to try to satisfy the wants and quench the thirst for our desire. And that's what Jesus is getting at. If alcohol is your thing, you can't get enough. You maybe say you can control it, but you can't. Maybe it's a desire for more money. And once you get a little bit of that started, it doesn't matter. More is never enough. A little bit more just pushes you to want a little bit more. Maybe it's recognition on social media. How many likes? How many views? Do people like me? It's got nothing to do with it. Maybe it's acknowledgement by the people around you that you matter. Maybe it's just that what you need is to hear from the people close to you that they notice you, they hear you, they see you. They're glad that you're there. Whatever it is that we desire, whatever it is we're thirsty for... There's never enough of it to satisfy our want, to quench our thirst. And that's what Jesus is getting at. So Jesus presents a very simple need with a very deep message. The very simple need is that every one of us gets thirsty. But what He's getting at is that there's a thirst that's never going to go away without Him. So for people who literally needed a well for something as simple as a drink of fresh water, a spring of living water is a very attractive idea. That, that, that's something that they'd heard about. But how how, how does that work in my world? And there's one other thing, though. He he kind of ties a a part of it that we often overlook. He says, "Come to me and drink. In order to have our thirst quenched with this living water that Jesus is talking about, we have to go to Him." We can't just raise our hand and say, yeah, Jesus, I want some of that living water stuff. I don't ever want to have to go to oil. I don't want to be thirsty. I don't ever want anything for the rest of my life. So bring it on, buddy. Because that's what we do, because we tend to be lazy. But Jesus says, if you want it, come to Me. He sets a condition that we've got to come to Him. Living water is free, but it isn't without action on our part. It's for anybody who wants it, who's willing to live according to Jesus' will, which is no more than that we go to Jesus to receive it. No different than you or I saying, well, we want education because I want a better job. I want a good career. I want to earn a lot of money. I want to have a house. I want to have nice things. In order to do all of that, unless you inherited everything you could ever hope for, you actually have to wake up in the morning one day and do something. You don't get a better job just because you want it or because you need it or because you think you deserve it or you're entitled to to it. You've got to do something for it. My oldest daughter, Kirsten, our oldest daughter, Kirsten, is in nursing school right now. She doesn't have time to be in nursing school. She's a single mom. She has her own place, car, bills to pay. She likes to eat, so there's groceries. Why would she go to school when she hardly has enough time for her own life without school? quite simply because she knows that to get the life that she wants, to get to where she wants to go, to be able to provide for she and her daughter the way that she wants, she's got to go to school and earn a degree. None of it comes for free. And those of us around her, we we try to help where we can, but at the end of the day, she has to do it for herself. She's got to make the time for homework that she doesn't really have. She's got to get up early and stay up late. She's the one who's got to do all the stuff that's required because none of it's free. And it requires a tremendous amount of effort and sacrifice on her part. But she knows that it's all going to be worth it at the end of the road that is nursing school. What is waiting for her is a better life for her and her daughter. And so she's willing to do what she has to do to get there. Jesus wants us to come to Him. He invites us to come to Him. He wants our very best life for us. But in order for us to experience that, to know it, to have it, we have to first go to Him. And we live in this world that says, you know what, you deserve it. You've earned it. You're entitled. You'll just get it. Just just take what you need. That isn't reality. The world doesn't really work that way. If we want Jesus, we have to go to Jesus. Verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Once we go to Jesus, what we need to do next is to say we believe. We need to accept Him for who He is. Put our faith in Jesus and believe that He is who He says He is. And the moment we do that, things begin to change. And one of those things is that we begin to notice something different becomes, starts to come out of us because different things are happening within us. See, Jesus doesn't say out of His mouth or out of His mind. He said out of His heart. See, our true selves are our hearts. What is truly in our hearts, we can't hide for very long. Jesus doesn't say out of our mouths because He knows that what comes out of our mouths is what's in our minds, and what's in our minds is what's in our hearts. So He just gets to the root of it all, and He says what's in our hearts. See, we can't hide what's there for long. If there's deception and lies and anger and untruthfulness, you can't keep that stuff hidden. If that's who you are, it's going to come out. The people close to you, the people you work with, they're going to know. But if there's love and peace and kindness, those are the things that are going to come out of your heart. 1862, one of my favorite poets, Emily Dickinson, wrote, The heart wants what it wants or else it does not care. The heart wants what it wants or else it does not care your heart wants what it wants or else it just doesn't care. Those words are still true. What does your heart want? Because what your heart wants is what you want. It's what makes up who we are. Do you desire a person or a thing or stuff here on earth more than you desire Jesus? Do you look to another person and say, "If if I only had them my life would be complete. They would make my world whole. They would satisfy my heart. They'll make me happy and whole and they'll change my life forever. If that's you, you're setting yourselves up for a tremendous disappointment. However, if your heart is filled with the Holy Spirit, the living water that Jesus promised us, He can't be hidden and He cannot be quenched. The Holy Spirit is always going to be there. If that's what you want to be full of, it will never run out. The Holy Spirit will never run out on you. That's why what you really want becomes so important. What you really want is who you really are. And what you really want is what will come out of your heart. It's what will fill your mind and it's what will come out of your mouth. So at the beginning I said, what is it that you really want? That's the stuff that makes up who we really are. Last week, I went on a search for honeybell Oranges. It turns out that they weren't in season enough that the grocery stores had them. I was very disappointed. Uh, I looked for them all over the place. If you've never had a honeybell Orange, I apologize. Um, I love all things citrus in Florida, but my favorites are honeybell Oranges. They're a little bit sweeter, a little bit more juicy. Oh, man, I wish I could share them with you. I just didn't get that many. Um, Last stop on the way out of the state of Florida, one of those roadside places, went and looked. They had honeybells. They were just bagging them. I asked her if I could buy them all, and she said no. So I bought one bag. Here's the deal with honeybells. There's a whole lot of different kinds of oranges out there. Just like there's a whole lot of different kinds of citrus. But you know what? You can't, you can't pick a honeybell orange, no matter how much you want it, off of a navel orange tree. can't pick a honeybell off of a grapefruit tree or a lime tree or an avocado tree. A honeybell has to come from a honeybell tree. Because that tree can only bear one kind of fruit and the kind of fruit that I'm looking for is a honeybell orange because I absolutely love them. It's the way it is with our hearts as well. What's truly in them? You can talk all you want about who you are and what's inside of you, but the truth is in the testing. It's why the Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit. I knew if I wanted a Honeybell orange, I had to find the real thing. Something else wasn't going to cut it. One of the guys says, Oh, we've got this new kind. And he explained it to me, and it didn't look right. It just looked more like a grapefruit than an orange. I said, I want Honeybells. Needed a Honeybell tree that was producing those oranges. So, the way it is with the fruit of the Spirit, as Christians, we should have what the Bible calls fruit of the Spirit. Signs are proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. There's only one kind of honeybell orange. A lot of different oranges out there, but only one of those. And the Bible says what should be in us is the fruit of the Spirit, evidence of the living water that Jesus is talking about. You can talk to me about different kinds of oranges and you can tell me how much I'm going to love them, but I won't because I know what I'm looking for. That's the way it is with the fruit of the Spirit as well. Don't tell people about the kindness and love and self-control and gentleness and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness and goodness, and that's the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Don't tell people about those being inside of you. Don't tell them how full you are of all of this goodness. Show them. Live it. Let them see for themselves. As Christians, our lives all of the time, who we are, should be a witness, a testimony to the truth of what is in our hearts. And what is there is what is important to us. What comes out is the evidence of who we really are. What is in our hearts is the truth of what we really, really want. There's a lot of fakes, a lot of examples, a lot of things that might have been just fine, but there was only one thing that I was looking for, and so the question is, I ask you, what is it that you want? As it relates to your life, let's leave the talk of oranges aside and let's talk about what matters. What's in your heart? What do you want to be in your heart? Maybe you're not there today, but what do you really, really want to be there? Verse 39, Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, for whom those who believed Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit hadn't been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What we know from the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit was at work, individual people, individual times, individual tasks. The Holy Spirit empowered them. The Holy Spirit was present in creation. The Holy Spirit uh, was with Samson. The Holy Spirit was with Bezalel. The Holy Spirit was with individual people at individual times for specific tasks. But Jesus tells us that after He goes back to heaven, the Holy Spirit is going to be available for all people who welcome Him. This passage sets up the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit of God reside, revive, <coughs> excuse me, arrives for all people at all times who would have Him in their hearts. And that's the world we still live in today. Don't buy any of this talk that says the Holy Spirit is gone. Not true. You don't have faith if it isn't for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive and well and present in this place. It's why we pray for Him to be here every Sunday morning. The heart wants what it wants. Or else it does not care. So what does your heart want? What is it you're thirsty for? What is it you can't live without? I can ask you a hundred different ways to get at the question, but you know what I'm asking. What is it that matters to you? Jesus gave His life that you would live for Him so that you wouldn't die of a spiritual thirst chasing the drinks and the diseases and the things of this world. What is it you cannot live without? Who are you and what do you really, really want? That's this text today. What matters? What's in your heart? What do you want to be in your heart? If what you really want is more of Jesus, then you've come to the right place. Jesus Himself said, all you have to do is come to Him, surrender your life to Him, to the lover of your soul, the guy that gave His life for you. And then the relationship with Jesus begins. And with every good relationship, it takes time. It's got to be cared for and tended to. There's going to be spots where you're going to feel like it isn't so strong, but He's not going to walk away from you. He's going to be there just waiting for you to come back. Your relationship with Jesus is going to take some effort from you because Jesus has already done everything on His end. He's just never going to leave you. So we talk about the three foundations every time we gather, God's Word and prayer and worship. Why are they so important? Because those are the three things that we should focus on every time we think about coming into the presence of God. Those three things are what we are able to use to begin to get to know the heart of our Creator and our Savior. We're filled with the living water of God's Holy Spirit. We begin to see hearts transformed into the likeness of the One who gave His life for us. He begins to live within us, and the Holy Spirit begins to flow through us and out of us. So I'm going to go back to where we started. What do you really, really want? Maybe this morning, right here right now, maybe this is your time. Maybe for whatever reason God's using the words in this snowy Sunday that you could have stayed away and stayed home and been a lot more comfortable. Maybe this is the time that God's saying, it's time for you to choose. It's time to make a choice. What do you really, really want? you want more stuff? Do you want more of the things of this world that have just gotten you to where you are? do you really want more Jesus? What are you going to do about it? What will you run to? Where will you give your money? Who will you be? What matters to you? What do you really, really want? Jesus died so that you could have Him. And all you have to do is believe. Come to Him and believe. But first of all, you've got to make a choice. What do you really, really want. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and if, if today is your day, if God's speaking to you and the Holy Spirit says, I want in, you say, I'm willing to give my life to Jesus, I'm willing to surrender, I'm willing to quit chasing all the things that I thought I wanted, what I want is whatever it is that God wants for me. I want to be who I was created to be. Then I just want you to pray along with me. That's all you got to do. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these folks who showed up today, Even though it wasn't easy, they had to choose to be here. They had to really, really want to come to be in Your presence this morning. And God, we know that none of us are here by accident. None of us are here by mistake or by coincidence. We're here, God, because You drew us to this place. You brought us here this morning because You have something for us. And maybe what it is, what You have for us, is the beginning of a relationship with You. Maybe it's a coming back to You because we've strayed and we've been away. Maybe for some of us we just say, you know what, I want more. I want more Jesus. I want more of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we are, God, we know that You're there. We know that You're waiting. So to everyone who's in this place who is wanting to come back to You, God, I thank You that You welcome every one of us. I thank You that Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sins so that there's nothing standing in the way of our forgiveness except for us believing and putting our faith in Him. And so, God, for everyone who is ready and willing to do that now, who, who is willing to surrender the life they've been living, to accept the life that You created them for, God, we just ask that you would, you would walk them through those simple steps of saying, I believe in Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and that I want to give my life to You, I want to surrender my life to You and start living for You rather than for me. And, God, for everyone who is open to the power of the Holy Spirit, the living water, Your Holy Spirit, God, Whoever is open to being filled with Your Holy Spirit and being one of those vessels of living water, God, we just ask that Your Holy Spirit would fill us now. God, that all of the things that we fill our minds with, that come out of our mouths, that we choose to desire in our hearts, that all of those things would wash away and we would be filled with You, with Your Holy Spirit, with the fruit of Your Spirit. And God, we give You thanks because we know we can't do this on our own. It is only... Through You, it is only through the power of Your Holy Spirit that we can come to faith, and it is only through the death and the resurrection of Your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that we can even ask for any of it. It's in His name that we say thank You and Amen. So what do you do now? Now what do you do? You're going to go home and shovel snow, but what do you do with that message? so important to Jesus that He stood up and He cried out. Here's the deal. You're not here by accident. You're here because God has something for you this morning. Maybe you figured out what it is. Maybe it'll hit you before you leave the door. But here's what I know. There's two lives that we have to choose between which one we're going to live. We say here all the time, we're not worried about who you were when you walked in the door when we met you. What we're worried about is who are you today and who are you living for for tomorrow, right? Because that's a whole notion of transformation. That's what Jesus does. He takes the mess that we make of our lives and He turns it into something good for Him but we got to come to him first. So, I'm going to read a passage from Galatians. I hadn't planned to do this, but this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to read the life that is easy. I'm going to read about the life that we know in different ways. Some of us know different parts of it, but here it is. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. This is Galatians 5:19. The works of the flesh are evident. Meaning it's easy. This is easy to understand and to do. Becoming a Christian, that's easy. Living as a Christian is not. Living outside of Jesus is real easy. And so they're evident. This is easy. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this, I warn you as I warned you before. That's easy. It's easy to live that life we fall into that one living as a christian is more difficult that's why it's only in the power of the holy spirit that we can do it but the fruit of the spirit and so if you leave here today you go you know what i don't want to be that guy or that woman anymore go to galatians 5 starting verse 22 here's how you live your life the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness And self control. Against such things, there is no law. In those things, there is no sin. There is nothing to condemn you for. What's in your heart? That first list or that second list? What do you really, really want? Jesus wants to be so real to you that that second list, the fruit of the Spirit, is how you live your life. Folks, thanks for making the effort to choose to come here this morning. I know it wasn't easy. It is just good to get together and worship, even on crazy, wonderful snow days. On the way home, take a look at the beauty that God just painted for you because it is gorgeous out there. It's one of those reasons that it's awesome to live in Minnesota. We've got one more song before you go. Thanks for coming. We'll gather again Wednesday night at 6.30.